0: morning, as we were getting ready, church, both Nick and I had to look at each other and laugh, because the plan was that I was going to take some extra time and do some different things to prepare for this morning, Mom. and everything was boiling against us, and we kept just, uh, I'll. we'll dive into this passage more, but Isaiah 40:11 says, he will gently lead those who are with young, and... We just kept saying to each other over the screaming of the children, like, Axel that have Nick put on his boots if you leave. You know, like, it was just all these things. I drove over a box of chalk in the garage, so it was a very hilarious morning in that we just kept saying, and be we like, okay, but this is what we're sharing this morning. Like, God is near, and he is with us, even in the circus or chaos that we find ourselves in. Um... Yeah, this morning, I'd like to share about how I've encountered God as a shepherd, specifically two years ago, and then how that encounter continues to impact my life today. Some of you may remember when Nick, my husband, shared last year about how God delivered him in the midst of a time of anxiety and challenge. I'd like to share how God met me in that stormy season as well. To give some context, we've been living here in Woodstock for about three and a half years. And we had Rebecca, who was nearly two and a half years old, and Axel, who was five months old. Nick worked in Libertyville, so we had an hour commute each way. He would leave before anyone was awake in the morning, while me shushing him, like, the baby, oh, like, be quiet, because he had to get dressed in the dark, and like, and then the door would close, and because the door closed, the kids would start screaming and wake up. i oh like, five extra minutes I could have. Um... He worked Wednesday night until 10, Saturday shifts as well. To say we were spread thin would be an understatement. In the midst of a schedule which felt unsustainable, Nick received a new boss. It started off on the wrong foot and deep wounds and Nick started getting triggered. His new boss was also requiring him to change his schedule, which meant he would no longer see the kids during the weekdays. Meanwhile, I was trying to get the hang of mothering two children. I was up nursing in the night, making food during what felt like all waking hours. <laughs> managing little people screaming to communicate their needs, sometimes not very effectively, um, and a marathon of interrupted nights of sleep. The needs of everyone in our family felt like they were suffocating me. I was also carrying the shame and challenge of navigating postpartum anxiety and depression. The darkness felt big and scary and too much. My hormones were all over the place, and my counselor of seven years called suddenly to let me know that she was leading the practice and that we needed to phase out our journey together. I felt scared and overwhelmed. Shame, grief, angry and alone. Things felt like they were crashing down around me and I could do nothing to stop it. It felt like mothering was putting on its way all my sin, brokenness and weakness, filling me with shame, anger and regret. My inner voice was loud saying, surely you can handle this. You've got to pull it together. It shouldn't be this hard. You need to figure this out you should be giving more. In the midst of all this, God seemed distant and silent. It was as if he was the hired hand, like Katie read at the beginning of the service, fleeing when danger came. Let's reread John 10, verses 12 through 13. It says, He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming, and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I wasn't convinced that I was doing anything in the storm we found ourselves in. But even more so, I felt forgotten and unseen. Does he really care enough to stay? Or is he going to run away like the hired hand? At the time, Dolores, Jessica, and I were meeting to study the Bible in a gospel fluency group. We were going to Isaiah, and it was as though God took a giant high layer with a megaphone when we came to chapter 40, verses 10 through 11. It says, Behold, the Lord, the, God, the Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms, and he will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with him. I'm going to read that verse 11 one more time. He will tend his flock like a shepherd, and he will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. This beautiful, vivid picture of God broke me. God sees me. He's not forgotten me. He's not forgotten us. He's a tender and gentle shepherd that kneels down with his flock. He tenderly guides his flock to sustenance and rest. He, the good shepherd, knew the way through the storm that we could not see a way out from. He was promising to guide us. He had not removed his presence. He was with us, Emmanuel. He saw the heart of the season. Not only was he near and saw us, but he promised to lead us through the unknown. His love for us was on display as a good shepherd as he laid down his life for us. As I started to face my unbelief that God had forgotten me, things started to shift. I started covering my days and the truth about who God is through music. I started fighting for time just for me and God. I would wake before the needs of the children consumed my day and sit with him, open my Bible, drink a cup of very important coffee, and meet with him there. I started getting more help from others and inviting them into my unbelief. I recall when a dear friend came over and cared for my children to give me space to weep with God as I listened to an album by the artist Shade and Shame. I started placing post-its, more soon online, you all have post-its, that's a hint, of truth all over the house. They said reminders of truth in scripture, like, I am here. I will gently lead you as you raise these young ones. I will turn the dark places into light. God meets us in our lives. He is faithful to meet our needs, even in the storms. I started believing more fully that he is a gracious to forgive all of the sin and brokenness that was being revealed in the mothering. The idea that Nick and I had maybe right after this season was to come up with visuals in our home to represent things that our family values and what we're all about. So I don't know if anyone can see that there's a Extra picture on the backdrop today. It's probably pretty hard to see, but you can meander over after the service if you want to. But it's a sheep, and there's a shepherd with a sheep. And so it's a vivid picture for us. Um, as, as God is a good shepherd, but our longing and desire is to be reminded of that, that he leads us, and then that we can pour that same love and care out for our children. So I also started realizing that if I was to receive this picture of God as my shepherd, that I needed to grow in my knowledge on the topic. So I started. I came across two books. I brought them because I'm very visual. should sure you guys know this about me. So it's called "Scouting the Divine" is one. It's about a woman who basically says, "Okay, there's all these vivid pictures in Scripture um, of sheep." She went into, it's, the subtitle is actually pretty explanatory. My search for God in wine, wool, and wild honey. So she, like, spends time with a shepherdess, a farmer, a honey, or beekeeper. And she, like, learns from them. And then she sees, like, oh, like, this is what God was saying through this. And I think because our world is so disconnected from, like, shepherdess. And, you know, like, there's not, we don't know farming like they did, but, and, um, when they were reading the Bible firsthand and hearing Jesus talk about being a good shepherd. like we don't, There's so much we miss and such rich imagery that we miss because of it. And then this is another one. It's by Philip Keller. A shepherd looks at Psalm 23. So he's actually a shepherd himself. But. Um, so I'm going to quote or pull some things from that, but I highly recommend reading either or both of those books because they've been a huge gift to me. Um... Yeah, so Margaret stays with the shepherdess. She, like, finds one. She's not a believer, the shepherdess. And she asks if she can just come and stay with her for a whole weekend. And she just, like, learns from her and observes from her. So in my reading, one thing was most evident to me. The shepherdess loved her sheep deeply. They loved her, and they felt safe with her. She steps out into the pasture, even if they're, like, completely out of sight, and she just says, sheep, 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 and they all run to her. Like, they flop to her, and they just, like, melt in her presence and like want her care and want her to like stroke them and pet them and give them food she knows the sheep's personalities and how to protect them best if at any point she hears their cries for the stress she drops everything she's doing and runs to them like she was having a conversation with the author inside they were like having tea and she's like the sheep and she just like left what they were doing and ran out because she heard and Margaret was like I didn't hear anything but she's like attentive to the voice of her sheep she made it very clear, the author or sorry, Lynn, the shepherdess, how dangerous it is for sheep to be without their shepherds. She even goes so far as to say that if she left for a few days, her sheep would likely be dead. It isn't what we would first think that a predator would get them, although it could happen. The sheep could also overeat, get stuck on their backside. That's actually called a cast sheep. Um, they like roll over onto the back and they can't get up and then they die within hours or days, depending on how cold or hot it is. Outside. Um, or they can't get enough food. She explains that sheep are not dumb, as many label them, but rather defenseless. I think that, like, shifted for me. I've, also, I've, I've heard often it said, like, well, sheep are just pretty dumb. And then I'm like, okay, well, great, I'm dumb. What business do I have even, like, I don't know. Just, just, the word defenseless, like, points me to Jesus more than dumb. I guess. Um, yeah, Margaret writes, Without someone to protect, guard, and lead us, we are sheep without a shepherd, defenseless creatures who can destroy ourselves or be destroyed with equal ease. The sheep's very life depends on being cared for by an attentive shepherd. So in Philip Keller's book, um, he unpacks a bit on what gets in the way of rest for sheep, and this picture was probably the most vivid from both books that just keeps coming back to me, so I'd like to just read a segment from the book. In the course of time, I came to realize that nothing so quieted and reassured the sheep as to see me in the field. Their presence of their master and owner and protector put them at ease as nothing else could do, and this applied day and night. In the Christian life, there is no substitute for the keen awareness that my shepherd is nearby. There is nothing like Christ's presence to dispel the fear, the panic, the terror of the unknown. We live a most uncertain life. Any hour can bring disaster, danger, and distress from unknown quarters. Life is full of hazards. No one can tell what a day will produce in new trouble. Generally, it is the unknown, the unexpected, that produces the greatest panic. It is in the grip of fear that most of us are unable to cope with the cruel circumstances and harsh complexities of life. Then, in the midst of our misfortune, there suddenly comes the awareness that He, the Christ, the Good Shepherd, is there. It makes all the difference. His presence in the picture throws a different light on the whole scene. Suddenly, things are not half so black nor nearly so terrifying. The outlook changes, and there is hope. I find myself delivered from fear and rest returns. So this past week, Axel was able to give me another illustration for this testimony. 20. He woke in the middle of the night crying, which is super rare for him. He's, he's always been a great sleeper in the middle of the night. And Nick and I sleep upstairs now. And so there's stairs, and so both Nick and I are like, should we put down, should we not? But no, I think, he, I think he needs us. So I go down fully expecting a poopy diaper, puke everywhere, a fever, because again, this is like not like him. And didn't find any of those things. He was just a scared little boy that probably had a little scary dream. <laughs> he held his little arms up for me. Like he heard me enter the room, he just, arms up, I scooped him up and he just melted into my arms, completely calm. We stared at each other for like five or 10 minutes. And I said, are you ready to go back to your bed? He was like, pointed, and then I put him down, and he fell asleep. It was just such a beautiful picture of, like, he didn't need, it. I mean, yes, I helped him, but, like, he didn't need something. He wasn't hungry, he wasn't thirsty, he didn't have a poopy diaper. Like, he didn't have immediate physical needs. He just needed to know that we were near. Um, and I just, I remember walking up the stairs, and like, and God was like, this is a picture for you. Like, I want you to receive it, like. I hear you and I see you, and I'm near when you're in distress and when you're scared and when you're vulnerable. So now two years out from that stormy season, I still carry wounds of heartache and pain that God is gently healing. In preparing this testimony, I realized that I still have a long way to go. But oh, how I long to believe more fully that Jesus, the Good Shepherd, is with me. He has not left us or abandoned us. He leads us and guides us. All that 2020 has brought to our community and our world is giving us continued opportunities to say, this is happening, but, God, you are near. He has not left us like a hired hand would in the face of danger. He cares for his flock. He is near and he sees us. I pray that all of us would be reminded of these truths and that we would take time to remind one another. I also wrote Psalm 119, 151, 151, It's just such a simple and needed reminder. Um, It says, but you are near, O Lord. And I've recently been introduced to something called breath prayer. I don't know how many of you have heard of this before, but it's just something super simple. You can do it with prayer or scripture, so you can say, like, come Jesus, even. as simple as that. If you inhale, and then one thing and then you exhale something different so there's lots of different forms this can take but I've recently been starting to try this so I just inhale on the butt and then you are near oh lord and I've also been learning from my counselor that oxygen is like crucial for us to not go into like fight or flight and like freak out mode. and so just that it's such a beautiful like we're getting oxygen and truth like into ourselves um to bring peace and bring an awareness of his presence. So now I'm going to guide us in a short exercise. So if you have your note card, I think Laura was very diligent to make sure everyone had one. on. If you don't have a pen or the note card or the post-it, let us know, we'll get you some. But I think we're good. I'll tell you Laura first. Um, so you can go ahead and take off the post-it. We're going to use the note card first. So, yeah, I wonder if there's an area in your life that you're feeling vulnerable and scared. It could be loneliness, a financial situation, a strained relationship, a sin struggle, fear, or something else. Let's take some time to pray and ask God to guide you and write down that on one side of your note card. Just dot down what it is. We're not going to take time to share this right now if that impacts what you write. Let's go ahead and wrap that up. You can obviously revisit it more later. Now we're going to flip it over, and I want you to draw a mountain. It's kind of like more of a... It doesn't really matter the shape of your mountain.
1: Just draw a mountain. So
0: now let's, let's just imagine. So the mountain is whatever you wrote on this. On the back of your card. So, envision that as a journey that God has for you, with, with whatever that scary, vulnerable thing is. And where would you be on that mountain? Like, are you part of the way up, halfway up, close to the top? Just put a little X to mark yourself on the mountain. And then I like to take time to think of where do we see God on that mountain. We're going to need a circle to describe that. So there's lots of different answers to this. It could be that God isn't on there at all, that you're believing that this is a mountain that he's sent you, a journey he's sent you on, and he's nowhere to be near. You could believe that he's maybe at the bottom of the mountain, saying, like, have a good trip, here's some sustenance and some food for your journey. Or maybe he's at the very top saying, Come on, you gotta push yourself. You gotta get up here. I'm coaching you. You gotta get
1: strong. Get up here. So
0: there's no wrong answers to what's better. So then next, I'd like us to take the post-it and just think about. And maybe this is. Maybe you use your Bible now. Maybe better to do later on this week at home, but I'd like you to think about what sounds like good news to you in the midst of that
1: place that you're feeling scared
0: and vulnerable. Um, It could be as simple as God is near, or he is a good shepherd, or just something that actually refreshes and gives you hope and strengthens you with the truth of who he is in the situation. You can bring from now or write from now if you have the ideas
1: already. You had about four posts. Oh. Another
0: thing you can do this week if you're feeling stumped with that is take some time looking at Psalm 23 and seeing if any of those verses are um, extra helpful and encouraging to you. And then I invite you to take these post-its and place them in your, above your kitchen sink, that's my favorite place, because I tend to be there a lot. Or like in your bathroom mirror, or in your car, or just something where you'll see them. And moving them is also helpful, I find,
1: it becomes like part of the environment
0: for me if I have it there um, for too long. Um, yeah, so the mountain exercise, actually, a friend of mine who's going through some really, really challenging stuff in this last year, she's described her storm and fight as a giant mountain. And she just feels like completely hopeless to even see the top, let alone get to the top of it. Um, and so I asked her that question. In the city like God just gave me that picture like okay so, so you see the mountain but like where is Jesus and so I asked her and her her response was so it was just so tender and so powerful to me that it, it stuck with me she said Jesus isn't at the bottom at the top he's two steps in front of me and he's just so do you keep your eyes on me like you just you don't look at the top of the mountain like you just come right through me like, Eyes on me, I got this, we're going to come right here, and then we're going to take the next step together. And so he's leading her as a good, good shepherd that like, is, is helping her one step at a time through this really overwhelming, hopeless mountain that she's faces. So when I look back at that stormy season in our lives, I can see that season with a new perspective. I can see God has not abandoned us, and he was right there in front of us
1: tenderly and gently guiding
0: us. I had taken in that fall, after that spring, I had taken some time to read through my journal through the season of when I thought, oh, well, God has abandoned and left us during that. And I just, I couldn't stop crying. Like, I saw God's hand so vividly and perfectly as I looked back on that time. And so I I just pray that you'd be able to hear today. Um, and be encouraged with the truth that no matter what we are walking through, God, our good shepherd,